All right, thank you for being here tonight. Let me remind you that in the month of May, we are reading through, of course, the book of Psalms. And if you haven't got a reading guide yet, they are still available wherever you pick up your bulletins. Generally, you should have these as well, just a Bible reading guide. Basically, we're reading through five chapters or five Psalms each day, uh, but there's some other information there about the book, etc. Uh, and so if you would grab one of those and join us in reading through uh, Psalms, it's a great book to jump in on, a great time if you haven't already to read through that book. I, I've enjoyed reading yesterday, it was a timely uh, reading for me as we're reading through the book of Psalms, I just came to that one Psalm that just kind of grabbed my attention and uh, finding that again and again, so uh, join us in that if you haven't already. I don't know if you've gotten the word, but Bible scholar Warren Wiersbe died this week. Uh, Warren Wiersbe was known as the pastor's favorite Bible commentator. He he was a man who just so well read, such a, a theological giant. Uh, it's amazing how many books that he's written. Wiersbe is probably best known for his B series, and I, I must be slow. It didn't even occur to me until this week after his death. Wiersbe. B series, I get it now, okay? Uh, and I've had those books on my shelves for I don't know how long. It, it just didn't register with me. I'm sorry that I'm that slow. But, uh, but he had a, this series of Bible commentaries called the B series. They were on each book of the Bible. Started with the New Testament and then also did uh, Old Testament. He, 50 books in just the B series. For example, he wrote a, a book on James called Be Real. He wrote a a book on Philippians called Be Joyful. And so he's, he was a prolific author. Uh, it is said that Warren Wiersbe wrote over 160 books published in his lifetime. 160. Uh, just amazing to me. Um, I have one of those in my hand. A book written by Warren Wiersbe. This one was not part of the B series. This one is called Meet Yourself in the Psalms. I just want to read a little bit from the preface, then I want to show you a video. But uh, in the preface, as he talks about this book we call Psalms, uh, just about three paragraphs here. Because they are poems and hymns, the Psalms must be read with the heart as well as the head. Someone has defined good poetry as distilled emotion. A definition that certainly applies to the Psalms. You do not read and study the Psalms as you would as you would one of Paul's inspired arguments in the epistles. When you study the Psalms, you move into the Holy of Holies where the heart communes with God. He says, I fell in love with the Psalms many years ago as a seminary student when I heard Dr. Andrew Blackwood lecture on preaching from the Psalms. Over the years, I've been amazed at the way the Psalms continue to be relevant to modern life, expressing emotions and describing experiences that belong to us today. It is certainly not difficult to meet yourself in the Psalms. My prayer is that you will not only meet yourself in the Psalms, but that you will also meet the Lord and in meeting Him, find new vision and strength for life and service. That's a very good introduction to the book of Psalms. Just today, uh, I was speaking with a gentleman who told me 
He said, Pastor, he told me about what he's been going through and some tough times he's been having. And, and he said, and he gave me the date. He said, such such time, you told me that I needed to be reading the Psalms. And he said, that has really changed my life. And then he started quoting. He said, the, as, he said I, I didn't really read the Psalms before because I didn't know how. I didn't know how to start, didn't know where to start. I just prayed the Lord show me how to read them and where to start and and then he started quoting one of the psalms that he had been reading and one of the psalms that he had claimed as his, as a word from the Lord for him. It was just intriguing and amazing and, and affirming to stand there and listen to that man as he quoted these words from the psalms. And he, and he quoted several verses from that one psalm that he has claimed as his. And here's what happened. He met himself in the Psalms. You can meet yourself there too. But Psalms is one of those books that we rarely dig into deeply. Psalms is one of those books that you could spend, we could spend if we were in a college setting or a seminary setting, we could easily spend a semester studying that one book. If you like to go deep in your study, if you like to say, hey, you know, I really want to get into the Word of God. I want to go deep into something. Uh, go to the Psalms. It's amazing. On, on one level, it, we, you, you don't have to know a whole lot about the book to benefit from it. And then on another level, the more you dig, the more you realize what you don't know and how much is there. You could easily spend a semester uh, talking about it. And yet, at the same time, Probably the most popular book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. In fact, I was thinking about it. One, of the, one example of the popularity of the book is that even when you, when you buy a copy of the New Testament, you're just buying a copy of the New Testament, there's usually Psalms and Proverbs attached to it. Ever thought about that? It's like, that, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Like, this is a Gideon New Testament. It says, New Testament. Psalms and Proverbs. It's a test, testimony, really, uh, to the popularity and the usefulness of Psalms and Proverbs, which is another wisdom book. That, that if I go out just to buy a New Testament, Psalms is likely to be included. An Old Testament book included with the New Testament. That shows you something about the power and the popularity of the book of Psalms. I think one of the reasons this book is so popular is because it, it has the ability to describe our relationship with God from a human perspective. Hear that again. It has, this book has the ability to describe our relationship with God from a human perspective. In other words, this book gives voice to our thoughts and feelings. This voice gives voice, or, or this book gives voice to what we're feeling, to what we're wondering, to what we're asking, to what we're struggling with. That's why Warren Wiersbe uh, titled his book on the Psalms, Meet Yourself in the Psalms, because it gives voice to us, to what we're, we're dealing with. Now, now, the purpose of the Psalms is to, yes, give voice to us, but in order to, it does that in order to deepen our relationship and our love for the Lord. Psalms is intended to lead us in praising God, but it, it, also, it also is intended 
to be a teacher to us about God. And one of the ways it taught, remember now, this book we call Psalms had an original audience. And the original audience used this book, uh, by and large, not as a hymn book, as the video said, but they did use it in their worship. And they did use it to sing. Some of these are songs. Uh, though this was not a hymn book, there are songs in the book of Psalms. And so that's one of the ways that you teach is through the power of songs. And that's what this uh, book is about. In fact, some of these songs, we call them Psalms, some of them were used in temple worship or used in the procession going up to the temple. Uh, so that's just a little bit about the popularity and the usefulness of this book. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the title. I hope you've got an outline. And I tried to give you a lot of my notes. Uh, don't didn't give you my entire notes, but I, but I did try to kind of give you a lot of those notes. The title, the traditional Hebrew title, Telahim, means praises. That is, if you were to look at the Hebrew word for the title of Psalms in the Old Testament, book, uh, or, or in the Old Testament, it would be that word telehim, and it means praises, and the Jews referred to it as the book of praises. That's how they referred to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament days, the book of praises. However, the name that we use, Psalms, actually came from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and when it was translated, that Greek word for praises is, is where we get our word, English word, psalms. So the Greek word for psalms originally meant played on a stringed in- instrument. Literally, the Greek language meant played on a stringed instrument. And it came to refer to the songs that would be sung uh, to the stringed instruments being played. So just think in ter- these terms that the psalms are intended to be songs of praise. And they're more than that. They're also prayers. I want you to go to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. So these are praises, is what I wanted you to see. But they're more than praises. They are also prayers. Psalm 72, 20. The last verse of Psalm 72. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. This concludes the prayers of David. And so the writer here was saying, uh, the writer was saying, listen, these psalms that I've been writing and quoting are, are books of prayer. So, so think in terms, when you're thinking of the psalms, that they're praises and they're prayers, and they reflect the human emotions we all experience, like anxiety and grief and doubt and anger and all of that. So uh, that's a, a little bit about the title. Psalms means praises. It also means to be sung uh, as praise. Now, let me talk to you about the author and date because this, I think, is very intriguing. Uh, there are at least six authors of the Psalms. At least six. Uh, I think I've listed these for you. David, and, and you can write in the blank, David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. So by far the most prominent author of the book of Psalms would be David. Asaph wrote 12. He was a musical director in the temple. He wrote 12 of the 150 Psalms. 
Korahites, who are the also called the seven sons of Korah, or the twelve sons of Korah, they were musicians in the temple, and they wrote twelve of the Psalms. Solomon wrote two. I think this one is interesting. Moses actually wrote a psalm. Moses wrote one. And then Ethan or Ethan wrote one as well. So I think if you add all of that up, I think that comes up to 101 psalms that we know the author of. And then some psalms are called orphan psalms. Orphan psalms because the author is not known. The, the author is anonymous. There are 49, 49 orphan psalms. That's why I said there are at least six authors of the psalms. We know six of them. The others we don't know. But now let's talk about the dating of the psalms because this is one of the things that makes this book so unique. The dating of the psalm is very interesting and very difficult. The psalms were written throughout Israel's history. You know, for example, when Paul wrote the letter to Philippians, or the letter to, uh, to the church at Philippi, he was in a jail cell, and, and it was a particular time, and, and, and he sat down probably in, in just a brief amount of time, maybe a day, maybe a week, who, who knows. But it didn't take him long to write that letter, and he sent it off. So it was written at one particular time, one particular place. That's not true with the Psalms. Psalms were written over an extended period of time by many different authors in many different places. So that's why we struggle somewhat with the dating. The Psalms were written throughout Israel's history. I think I put this on your notes. From the time of Moses, starting with Moses in about 1440 B.C., going up to the time of David in about 1000 B.C., and then going on to the... after Babylon defeated the Jewish nation, carried the citizens of... of of, of Israel into exile in 586 B.C. So the Psalms span that time frame from 1440 B.C. all the way up to 586 B.C. It's likely that these Psalms were written in different places from the Sinai Desert, which would be Moses, where he was leading the Hebrew people, to Israel, where David served as king over the Jewish nation, and Babylon, where the people of God were in exile. So the composition of the Psalms stretched over a thousand miles from Egypt to Babylon, and roughly a thousand years from Exodus to the exile. Now, so how did we get all of this? These are individual psalms. How, did, how were all of these brought together into a book? Well, this is sometimes called the Psalter. The psalms are sometimes referred to as the Psalter. Uh, the, that is the book of psalms. The Psalter was probably put in its final form, the form that we have it today, by post-exilic temple personnel around the 3rd century uh, B.C. That, that is, after they came back from the exile, they began to gather these poems, they began to gather these prayers, they began to gather these songs, and, and they put them together in books. And before you know it, they had five books, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then they gathered these books, and they put it into what we call the book of Psalms, uh, served as a prayer book and as a praise book uh, in the second temple. It was used in the worship of the second temple. They used the book of Psalms. It was used in the synagogues, in the worship services. They used the book of Psalms. And by the time of Jesus, by the first century A.D., 
it had the title, the book of Psalms, and was used in, in worship. Let me show you that. Go to Luke chapter 20, verse 42. Luke chapter 20. Let's start in verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, How is it that they say the Christ, this is Jesus speaking, how is it that they say that Christ, the son of David, or is the son of David, David himself declares in the book of Psalms. And then he quotes, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool uh, for your feet. So Jesus, when he's speaking to the religious leaders in his day, refers back to the Psalms. So by the time of Jesus, this book has been compiled. By the time of Jesus, this book has been uh, recognized as authoritative scripture. By the time of Jesus, this book was used in worship. Uh, let me show you another example. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 20. Acts chapter 1 verse 20. Peter is preaching, or speaking rather, not preaching, but he's speaking about choosing a replacement for Judas, speaking to the apostles about we need to replace Judas who went out and hung himself. And it says, verse 20, For, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. So when Peter was making the case, we need to replace Judas, the way that he supported that recommendation was to go back to the Psalms and say, let me show you what the Psalms say. So again, by the time of Jesus and by the time of the apostles, the Psalms were recognized as authoritative scripture and used in, in worship as well as in guiding the church. All right, so let me go on now and talk to you about understanding Hebrew poetry. And this is, I need your attention for a moment. This is where I need you to kind of really lock in and, and not tune out. Uh, but I want to talk to you very briefly about Hebrew poetry. I decided not to go very deep with this. And, and I don't mean that in a, uh, like you couldn't handle it. I just mean that I, I just don't think it would be of great value to the majority. But if you really want to go deep in understanding the Psalms, one of the places where you can get deep in your study is to study Hebrew poetry. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a snapshot of it, and then if you want to go deeper on your own, you can. The poetry of the Old Testament is very different from modern poetry. Modern poetry, of course, a lot of it is based on rhyme and, and all of that kind of thing, it, uh, the rhyming of sounds, etc. Uh, but not in Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, you don't find the, the rhyme of sounds, and you don't find the, the rhythm that you find in modern poetry. But rather in Hebrew poetry, you find, if you can, if you can call it rhyming, you find the, the rhyming of thoughts, the rhyming of ideas. I'm not even sure rhyming would be a perfect uh, word there. Uh, write this word down if it's not on your notes. The characteristic of Hebrew poetry is called parallelism. Did I put that in your notes? Yeah? Okay. Parallelism is what you really want to study if you want to go deep on, on this. For the most part, parallelism may either, re, either be antithetical 
where thoughts are opposite one another, or synonymous, where thoughts are similar to one another. Uh, Again, uh, there's five or six different types of parallelism, if you want to get deep into this. Uh, But basically, the kind of a a simple explanation would be this. When they're talking about Hebrew parallelism, they're saying like line 1 of verse 1 may be opposite of what line 2 says. Or line 1 may be, or line 2 rather, may be a repeat of line 1. And so you really get breaking down uh, the the verses in, in parallelism and it's either antithetical or synonymous, but it goes much, much deeper than that. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But if you think about it, the genius of that type of poetry is that rhymes and sounds are difficult, if not impossible, to carry over in translation. For example, cake rhymes with what? Bake. Yeah. Cake rhymes with bake. Well, it does in the English translation or the English language. But if we were saying that in Spanish, would it rhyme? I don't know Spanish. I don't know. I don't think it would be the same. If we said it in in uh, if we said it in in the Indonesian tongue, would, would that rhyme? I doubt it. It wouldn't carry over this rhyming like we know. Cake and bake, yeah, that sounds fine, that rhymes, but not in other languages. Say it in Swahili and see if it rhymes. I don't think so. But watch this. The beauty of thought rhythm that you find in Hebrew parallelism or Hebrew poetry is that it carries over into any language because, listen, in Hebrew poetry, the idea is not that these words are going to rhyme like you and I know rhyming, but in Hebrew poetry, the idea is that this idea is going to parallel this idea. So you're thinking more of ideas and thoughts rather than words rhyming. Um, I just wanted to introduce you to that whole concept in case you're interested in going deeper into Hebrew poetry. But the thought rhythm, if you will, of Hebrew poetry carries over into any language. Therefore, this is what the reason I said that, you can translate the Word of God into any language and it'll make sense. Translate the book of Psalms into any language and the thought ideas will translate and make sense. So, that's just a very brief introductory to the idea of Hebrew poetry. I I didn't feel like we needed to go very far with that. Let me talk to you about structure and types. The The Psalter, or the Psalms, consist of a series of independent compositions. The Psalms, I want you to think of these as independent compositions. These are not chapters. Psalm 1 is independent of Psalm 4. Psalm 4 is independent of Psalm 23. Each was originally composed independently, and thus they have a meaning of their own. But there is structure to it. They're grouped together in books, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And these books together uh, do have a meaning as well, and the video alluded to that. There are actually five books in the Psalms. You saw that on the video, but let me just show you... uh, how this, you may not have noticed it as you've read through the Psalms before. Uh, Go to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Look at the end of Psalm 41. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That's like a doxology. That's a conclusion. And then if you look at the very next line, at least in my Bible, it says book two. You see that in your Bible? Book two. So Psalms 1 through 41 was book one. Now we're starting book two. Now go to the to uh, the end of book 2, chapter 72. Chapter 72, or not chapter, excuse me, Psalm 72. And again, at the end of Psalm 72, verse 19, you see this doxology. Praise be to the glorious name forever. Uh, may the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And then you've got the verse about the prayers of David, and then after that it says, book 3. We could take the time and go through all of that, but you'd find that there are five books in the Psalms, similar to the five books, it is believed, uh, similar to the five books of the Pentateuch, or the five books of the book of Moses. Psalms are meant to instruct us, and so these five books are there Almost, I think they said this in the video, almost as a new Torah. Now, what he meant by that was that he's not saying that the Psalms replace the Torah, but a new way of teaching us God's law. Psalms were arranged in five books, a, a new way of teaching us God's law. That's why you have five books corresponding to the five books of Moses or the Pentateuch or the five books of law. All right, so let me outline these five books for you. Psalm 1 through 41, and I think you have a blank here, Psalm 1 through 41, are basically psalms that relate to man, and therefore that first book is called Genesis. Psalms 42 through 72 are basically psalms about deliverance, and so that second book is called Exodus. Again, these psalms, these songs, these poems were arranged so that they have this context. Psalm 73 through 89, predominantly the theme is the sanctuary. And so that book is called, psalm, is called Book 3 or the book of Leviticus. Psalm 90 through 106 are psalms and songs about wandering and unrest. And that book is called Numbers. Then Psalm 107 to Psalm 150 focuses primarily on the Word of God. And that book is called Deuteronomy. So what you have is around the 3rd century B.C., after the, post, or after the exile, after God's people come back to the Promised Land, they begin to gather these songs and gather these prayers and gather these poems and they begin to structure them, group them, if you will, into books. Five different books, and those books, as they gathered them, they, they put them in an order that corresponded to the book of the law. And each book got a title, Genesis, Exodus, etc. And uh, a new Torah, a new way of teaching us uh, God's Word. Now, let me stop there for a second and see if you have any questions or comments. I've been doing a lot of talking. I've got some other things I want to go through, but any questions or comments? All right, just like there are different types of hymns in a hymnal, there are also different types of psalms. Uh, you know, if you, if you open a hymnal, you've got all kinds of, of hymns 
And when you open the Psalms, there are many different kinds of Psalms. And this is where I want to spend a few minutes and dig in with you. But it's almost like reading a newspaper. Does anybody read a newspaper today in today's time? Anybody still read a newspaper? You do? Do you, do you take the paper today? Uh, what? On oh, the phone. <laughs> okay, that works. Anybody have the paper edition of the paper? Raise your hand a little higher. All right, so there's a few of you. Do, do they still bring it to your house? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. There was a day when that was common, right? So most everybody here probably, it, it's, you've read a newspaper, you know, in the last five years at least. So you, you'll be able to relate to this illustration. When you read the newspaper, you understand that there are different sections in that newspaper and you don't expect every section to be alike. You understand that the comics are going to be different from the sports page. You understand that the front page is going to be different from the editorial page. You understand that, that the, uh, what are the, the want ads are going to be far different from the entertainment section. And so we understand in reading a newspaper that we don't expect everything in the paper to read the same. We understand they have different authors, they have different intentions, they have different audiences they're aiming for. And, and so we understand, I don't expect my comics to read like the sports page or the front page. I understand this is different genres, if you will. You find that in Psalms too. When you start reading through the Psalms, it's amazing at the variety that you'll find. There are different types of psalms. So I just want to walk through this with you. You've got it on your notes, I think, at least uh, most of the notes there. But uh, first of all, first and foremost, there are certainly, if you're talking about the different types of psalms, there are psalms of praise, but even there, we would break it down further. So there are psalms of praise, and first of all, that would be a, uh, the first one you see there is praise for God's deliverance. And we're not going to have time to read all of these, but would you go to Psalm 18? Psalm 18. Would you look at the heading? It has a very long heading, at least in my Bible. I don't know if your Bible has the, the headings or not, but my Bible says Psalm 18. Then underneath that it says, For the director of music... Of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, and then this is what he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. Cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before his ears, uh, came before him into his ears. And he goes on to describe how the Lord delivered him. So this is a psalm of praise, yes, but it's a psalm of praise for God's deliverance. For what God's done for him. Even the heading underneath Psalm 18 describes that. 
there's, there's also another kind of psalm of praise, not just a psalm for God's deliverance, that is for what God's done for me, but there's also the psalm of praise for God Himself. Praising God simply for who He is. Go to Psalm 103. Let me show you this. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Look how he says this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being. Praise His holy name. I'm praising Him for who He is. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. Etc. Etc. So He's praising God. Yes, for what God's done. But He's praising God for who He is. Let me show you one other one. Psalm 113. Turn there real quickly. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. In the first two verses, I don't know how many times, I haven't counted, but over and over and over and over, we see this word praise. Praise the Lord. From the rising of the sun, verse 3, to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops low to look on the heavens and the earth? And he goes on to praise the Lord. We, uh, we, we, there have been lots of different psalms that we could read and just to, uh, to help you understand that the psalms, yes, there are psalms of praise, praising God for His deliverance, but also praising God for who He is. And then the interesting thing to me, but there are also psalms of Lament. What I mean by that is times when the psalmist complained to God. Times when he talked about his pain, his, con his confusion, his anger. Uh, let me show you some of these real quickly. We'll just, uh, I think it's so interesting. So, so you start out, you've got these psalms of praise. I'm, I'm praising God for who He is. I'm praising God for what He's done. I'm praising God for His deliverance. But also, another, watch this. If you turn the page of the newspaper, there's also another section there of laments, of complaining, of saying, God, I don't understand. That's one of the reasons Warren Wiersbe said you can meet yourself in the Psalms. Because there are days when you feel like praising Him and there are days when you're saying, God, I need to find out where the complaint department is. Psalm 3, I believe it is. Psalm 3. I am going to let you out on time, so don't worry. My wife is in the nursery tonight. I will let you out on time. <laughs> Psalm 3. Look at this. Where he's just complaining. And notice under Psalm 3 it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So, so he's running for his life from his son Absalom. And out of that experience he's angry, he's confused, 
and, and he's complaining. He says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You, de- you bestow glory on me and-, and lift my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and He answers me from His holy hill. I lay down and sleep. I'll-, I'll wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me. O my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That'd be a good psalm for you to pray tomorrow, wouldn't it? God strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. For the Lord comes, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Uh, Psalm 4, answer me when I call you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And, and then he goes on. And what, what you will see, by the way, is that sometimes in these psalms you'll see overlap. That it's some lament, it's some praising. You'll, you'll see overlap. But there are many, many, many psalms of lament where the psalmist is saying, God, I don't like it and I don't understand it and I'm wondering what you're doing in this world. Look at Psalm 22, a perfect psalm of lament. We won't read the whole thing. It's a rather long psalm, but Psalm 22, just the first verse. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Do you understand what he's doing there? It's songs of lament, complaining, confused, angry. And then look on your notes. Another type of psalm, I'll have to go real quick. Another type of psalm is penitential psalms. That is psalms where you're confessing sin and expressing the feelings of a repentant heart. Uh, The most well-known penitential song or psalm of repentance is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving, unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba and, and that's another type of psalm. Then, the one that we may talk about next time, imprecatory psalms. You don't hear that very often in precatory psalms. These are psalms where the psalmist actually is asking God to judge and sometimes punish the wicked. That doesn't sound very spiritual. That doesn't sound very religious. That doesn't sound very Christian for for the psalmist to say, God, would you break his teeth? God, would you send him to judgment? They're called imprecatory psalms. But one of the things, if we don't get to it, let me just give you a a, a snapshot here. If you read those imprecatory psalms, the psalmist is expressing anger, watch this, to God and through God rather than at an individual. You need to make sure you get that. The psalmist is expressing anger to God and through God rather than simply talking bad about an individual. He's asking God to step in and do something. Those are called imprecatory psalms. Didactic psalms are those psalms that give us instruction. Psalms that teach us about God and the ways of God. Psalm 119 would be a good example of that. Wisdom psalms are psalms where you're invited to choose the right choices, make the right choices, consider the right ways. Those are wisdom psalms. Thanksgiving psalms, of course, thanking God for His faithfulness, His protection, His provision. 
Psalm 100, of course, perhaps the most well-known of the Thanksgiving Psalms. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who has made us. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Those are Thanksgiving Psalms. And then there are Messianic Psalms. Uh, We don't have time to look at them, but Psalm 2, Psalm 22, Psalm 110. It's interesting, if you look at Psalm 22 have the time later to look at it, the psalmist in Psalm 22 talks about the suffering of Jesus. Now listen to this. It was written approximately a thousand years before the time of Christ. And he writes about the suffering of Jesus. Those are Messianic Psalms. I'll close... I started with Warren Wiersbe. I'll close with quoting Warren Wiersbe again. Just listen. He says, The book of Psalms is a collection of very personal songs and poems. As the book grew over the centuries, its contents were adapted by the Jews for their corporate worship as well as their personal devotions. In this collection, you'll find prayers from sufferers, hymns of praise, confessions of sin, confessions of faith, nature hymns, and songs that teach Jewish history. And in each one, the focal point for faith is the Lord Whether the writer is looking back at history, looking up to the heavens, or looking around at his problems, he first of all looks by faith to the Lord. The Psalms teach us to have a personal relationship with God as we tell Him our hurts and our needs and as we meditate on His greatness and His glory. I think it was yesterday I was reading Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. You need to read the Psalms this week. If you're not reading it, read the Psalms and let them speak to you. And as Warren Wiersbe said, maybe you'll meet yourself in the Psalms. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this wonderful book. We've just scratched the surface. We, we really uh, have not dug very far. But God, thank you for the truth that is there. And that you've given us a book that gives voice to what we feel and to what we think and what we question and what we wrestle with. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us uh, that we're all on that journey with you. And may we turn our eyes toward heaven and place our faith in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.